right, everyone, welcome to another edition of Property Players Podcast. I'm your host, C. Muzan, here. Got a great guest with us today. Um, this is a young lady that we've gone back and forth a little bit on social, and we finally found time in our busy schedules to be able to get together, and I'm glad to bring her on because um, I'm sure she's a bundle of uh, knowledge and uh, excitement. We have commonalities because we're both Eagles fans. Yeah. A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. That's right. Gang, gang. Uh, gang, gang. But without further ado, uh, Money Mandy. Mandy Anderson, thank you for being on the on the show. Thank you for having me. I, um, I'm excited to be part of it. I'm, I hear so many good things about it. I'm kind of excited that you even asked me. Oh, well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. Again, we're just talking all things real estate. Um, I want to make sure that this is a resource for people that want to understand something more about real estate, whether they want to get into it, whether they um, are already in the process of buying a home or just understanding the game. So this is going to be one of those places where people can have a resource. And so that's what it's for. But to jump right in, every guest that I bring on, I start with the origin story, right? Tell me about you, Mandy. Tell me about Money Mandy. You can start as early as you like to. But just tell me about you. Where where do you come from? Mandy grew up in like most stories I hear these days. You know, Mandy grew up in the hood. You know, I grew up in Los Angeles, Section Eight. You know, um, didn't come from much. Very humble beginnings. I guess that's the word we use these days. That is the PC way to do it. Yep. And just there was always growing up. There were always so many resources and opportunities that were given to me to help advance me and my family to a level of living that we never even knew that even existed from, you know, you grow up in generational poverty. There's, you don't know that there's opportunities out there. And I was just given through the boys and girls club and through so many different opportunities that were given out there resources that we took advantage of that we were able to grow and now become, you know, my kids are going to going off to college and it's just, it's so exciting to, to see, how things change in life that by taking advantage of opportunities that are available to you and not having the mindset that just because you came from somewhere that you can't be someone and you can't have more. So through my whole life, I've been, the way I got out was I went into the military. So previous army went into the army. So that's kind of where I started. I didn't get a college education. I got the, I went to the school of hard knocks. You ever heard of it? I've, I've heard of it. I, and I actually know some other graduates. Uh, yeah, we're an alumni. We're an elite group. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> and we're all pretty amazing because we know what it's like to have that struggle. But yet with the mindset, the positive mindset and just a really good attitude, we've been able to overcome the fact that we don't have a, you know, a degree. Absolutely. Have you always had that? Like, so what, what did your parents do? Did you had mom and dad in the house? Nope. Nope. Don't know who my dad is. And mom was a drug addict. So it was one of those things that I raised a lot of the kids in the neighborhood. Sure. It was kind of like, you know, just, it was an opportunity to, I think I found God real early in life. Yeah. Yep. And well, or maybe he found me. I'm not sure which way that it actually which, worked out, but that, that's probably more like, yeah, that's, that's more like the way that yeah. it he kind of like picked me up and yeah. yeah. And gave me, but I've always had a, a good attitude Mm-hmm. regardless of anything. I really didn't know I was poor. Yeah. I didn't know that we didn't have the means to do certain things. I just thought that that's how everybody lived. <laughs> do, do you have siblings? 
Yep, I've got a, a younger brother. He still okay. lives in LA and he's actually a very successful real estate agent. That's crazy. So when did when did the transition happen that you said, hey, I think I want to go into the military instead of the traditional schooling route? I didn't really have a choice to go to school. It wasn't, there wasn't enough information out on how someone like me can go to college. It was kind of like you either go to college or you go into the, into the military, or you can end up like everybody else where I came from and in jail, dead, prostitute, drug addict, whatever. I didn't really like those choices. That wasn't something that I wanted to do. Um, I'm not no shade on those that love that life. But um, for me, you're not about that life. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted something different. I just wanted a different life. So I decided to go into the army and how long I, met were you? First, I met, met my first husband there. Okay. How, um, how long were you in the army? I was in there for eight years. Okay. I wish I would have stayed in longer because I could have retired by now. <laughs> However, my husband was killed in the military. Mm, and sure. because of that, I was like, I don't want to be in the military anymore. You know, so I'm just going to serve my time and and get out. And and then the person that I was working for, I had ended up waitressing at night because I was only making like $10 an hour. Sure. And so I was waitressing at night and a whole bunch of mortgage people came in. And this is back in 97. And they were, you know, they had money. They were big tippers. And they were like, well, you have just a great attitude. You should come work for us as a receptionist. Sure. I was like, word? Me? Okay. Like that would be great. Right. You know, so here I go and I go work and I started figuring out, well, what are you, what are you doing to make all this money? How are you doing this? You know, and this was at the time when everybody was a mortgage lender at the time or a mortgage broker, I should say, sure. you know, be like, what'd you do before this? Oh, I did bond service. <laughs> okay. Got it. So, and it's just, I've been in every facet of the mortgage industry from a receptionist from a lender to a broker to a branch manager to the wholesale account executive to working for treasury on some hardest hit fund programs wow. to managing nonprofit HUD housing counseling agencies to now being able to serve my community for first time home buyers. Wow. So, so you have quite the resume, but now we need to break this down step by step because there's somebody out there listening that is just getting into the mortgage field or uh, wants their break. Right. So from that time when you started and you said they offered you the receptionist position, what was your mindset going in? Like, I'm super underqualified. Like, what do I do? Or have you always been like, once I get in, just give me a chance. And like, I'm going to show you like what I can do. Like, what was your thoughts behind it? Well, I knew I used to love to talk on the phone. This was before we had like cell phones and stuff. So I knew that I would be a great receptionist. I was going to kill it. Sure. But I've always had the mindset of, let me go in. First thing I've always done when I learn things, it's really important that people forget everything you know. Mm. Forget everything that you know and start over. Absorb what you're being taught right. um, and listen and follow the... If there's already a way that somebody is doing it and they are successful doing it, stop acting like you know everything and learn from the pros. Learn what they're doing and therefore you can be put your own spin on it. But you can be successful too. So I've always had the mindset on, okay, I know nothing. Teach me, teach me. Oh, one, oh, wise one. <laughs> and I've been able to, you know, adapt to that and always keeping a positive attitude and mindset going into me. Like I can do this. Yeah. If you can do it, I can do it. Who's to say that you're better than me because, 
oh, because you have a better upbringing, because right. you went to college, for what reason would it mean that you are better than me? So if I just sit down and I just do it like the others did it, then I can do it too, because I'm great too. That's huge, right? For everyone listening out there, hopefully you guys understand that that is one of the biggest keys to success. If you just model people that are already successful and you remain teachable, right? If you remain teachable, you can have whatever they have. Napoleon Hill says in, uh, I think it's Think and Grow Rich, he says, find a millionaire, do as he does, and you'll, you can have what he has, right? So it's basically just copying people, right? It's one of my mentors used to always say, so it's okay to be a copycat as long as you copy the right cat. That's right. right. I like that. And that's all it's about because people have paved the way. They've already made the mistakes. They've already had the failures and the successes. So our job is just to learn. It's just to learn if you want to get to that place. And it sounds like, Mandy, obviously that you've been one of those people that you've just always wanted to learn. So how'd you go from receptionist to the next job? Like what was the next position? I felt like I could do what they were doing. I said, what is it? What are you doing? They said, oh, well, what we'll do is we meet people. We take applications. We qualify them based on programs. I'm like, that sounds easy enough. I can do that. Give me a chance. Let me try it. Before I knew it, once I knew how appreciative people became because you were helping them accomplish something they could not do on their own, Mm -hmm. I got a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. Like, oh, I'm helping people. And I'm getting paid. Mm. No better this feeling. Great marriage. Yeah, no better feeling than to be able to actually help and serve people because you get that internal feeling of man, this is awesome. I'm giving back. It just makes your heart feel good when when you help a lot of people. And then on top of it, you get paid for it, right? Like you get compensated properly. So, like uh, that's my job. Other people have. Everybody's got their own job and different things that they do. And don't get me wrong, there is a everybody has their own place in this world to do their piece to keep this world running the way that it does. So no knock on anybody's job or what they do, but I know that I love helping people and I love being part of their lives. Like I'm part of their story. I'm going to live on through a legacy of other people because I help them. Like maybe that's ego or whatever. Maybe that's just, you know, but inside me, I know that I'm like, ah, this is a great job. This is a great job. I And I've worked in lots of, you know, I do a lot of volunteer work here in the community and stuff. And that makes me feel good too. But I really like being able to be part of somebody's 30 year goal. Sure. That's it. That's, that's awesome. And a lot of people have to think that way. You know, obviously I could tell you, you have a special, a special mind because not a lot of people think that way that, Hey, I get a chance to be a part of someone else's legacy. Right. And I typically say that for what I do. Um, I'm trying to have my hand in a lot of people's success. Just if I could be the person that lends the helping hand or gives the thought or, you know, helps you formulate an idea or whatever it is, I know that that's going to allow my legacy to continue to to, to move forward and it's going to help other people at the end of the day. So I had another mentor of mine say that, right, leaders, leaders often are the biggest givers, right? Like we're the ones that give and constantly are giving of ourself, of our time, of our money, right? Of our, our, of our energy. And because of that, we receive success on the back end. It's really just about giving. And when people really understand that dynamic of like, you got to give in order to get, it changes your world. It changes everything. So good to hear another person that actually believes in that. Because sometimes you feel like you're by yourself out there, right? Well, I only believe it because it's true and I watch it happen. 
you know, so I, I see that it's happened. I see how it's changed my life. I see that how it's changed the lives of other people around me. I see how it's changed my friends. Mm -hmm. I see how it changed my children. Um, my children think like I do because they do as they see, you know, and they're, I, I just, I'm grateful to be able to help people. Absolutely. It's so important. So important. So tell me now, take me back to the career. Tell me about your learning curve, right? So now that you're looking at them like, hey, I can do what you do. How long did it take you to actually get good at it? You know, it's it's really hard to say. I've been in the business for good 41, 20, over 20 years. Got it. So thinking back on there, it was a slow progression. I didn't just immediately was successful. I wasn't immediately one of the top loan officers. I wasn't immediately... I learned step by step. So I, I went slowly, receptionist, into processing. You started processing for them, taking paperwork, learning what the loan officers were doing, and then just hearing them and working with them. And before you know it, it kind of went fast because it was something that I was able to grasp very quickly and learn. And before you know it, it was just a next level, a next level, a next level. It just kept going up. And I was able to take everything that I had learned from the basics of being a, re a receptionist, we forget how important a receptionist is. Sure. That is your service. That is your face. That is the first person. They are so important to a business organization is that first face of a company. So I was able to take those service levels and continue each step of the way from the process, from the details, not forgetting the little things, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, and how it would come to the next step. And then as I learned how to continue to duplicate that process, it was just success after success after that point. And I learned just more things. Most recently working for Department of Treasury. Mm. I learned how so, so many different types of programs work that is out there for people that they have no idea what the government is doing actually to help support our communities. Sure. But the information just isn't out there. You've got to dig and it's kind of can be confusing. So you've got to work with professionals who know and understand the inner workings of how to get that money or how to get that support for your community. Sure. That's right. And talk about that. Like what, what are some, give, give, give the listeners one or two nuggets of things that you learned at like working for the treasury that people may not know, like a program or something that, that people um, could benefit from. Well, all states have a housing finance agency, HFAs, right? Mm -hmm. And they receive money from the federal government. They are to support the low to moderate income or even rural area to help promote growth, um, giving opportunities for those who would not necessarily be able to save for a down payment or have the ability to have those lower interest rates. They don't have the most perfect credit, but they're willing, you know, they've got good employment history. They've got good rental history. They've got other things that would make them a good borrower. And it keeps our neighborhoods. You need all levels of, of neighborhoods. So you've got the lower income neighborhoods. Those are homeowners too. And all the way up to, you know, to the more expensive homes, but they need to be able to have long-term affordability. So they're looking at the big picture. You know, if there's not any, when you think of low to moderate income and they don't have a retirement plan and they're not investing for their future, these are the people that are going to be relying on social security or help from the government later, later on. Well, if they're still having to rent then they don't own their own home, they're not going to have any income to be able to pay for their medicines or food or any other type of care that they may need. But if they were a homeowner, then 30 years, they've already paid off their mortgage and they're able to live, be able to sustain themselves a whole lot better. 
Sure. So with those HFAs, like here in Columbia, we in South Carolina, the state of South Carolina has several down payment assistance programs from anywhere from $6,000 down payment assistance, 8,000 up to right now, we have some of our hardest hit counties are getting $15,000 down payment assistance. Just so I can clarify. So that basically means if somebody just wants to purchase a home and they fall under a certain income bracket, I would take it or? Yep. What's the qualifi- What specifically are the qualifications? Is it just income? Well, you got income. It's under 80% of the area of median income. Okay. So what that means is it's low to moderate income, depending on how many people live in the house. I mean, right now, I think four people in the county that I live in can make up to $75,000 and still qualify. But it's the household. So it's all household income considered in there. So it's not like, you know, it's up to that amount, depending on what you can afford. So they have to have decent credit. And I say decent because a 620 credit score would be that qualifier. Right. They have to live in the home as a primary residence. The house has to be in decent condition. You know, they have to have a job, the ability to repay, you know, but if they've been working, they have a two year job history, 620 credit score. You don't have any money for down payment. Boom. We'll give you $15,000 FHA loan. Yeah. You're qualifying at a, you know, the rates are in the fours for the down payment assistance program. So they're getting an affordable housing, much better than what they could afford to rent. It's just changing the mindset is that I can own. Mm. I can. And the money is there and is available to me because a lot of people get caught up with the cost involved in purchasing. Sure. Where they need to, you know, look at the affordability factor on a monthly level. If I can take your um, your excuse for not owning is because you can't save for a down payment, then what are you waiting for? Sure. That makes sense. That makes sense. I'm curious because I've, I've been asking a lot of people in, in the industry this. Do you, do you believe everyone should own? Like, do you believe that that's just a genuine thing that everyone should own their, their home? Nope. Okay. Nope. There's, you have to be a responsible person. Like, I call them responsible buyers, responsible sure. homeowners. Not everybody has the mindset, um, but a lot of people do. So I think, but I'm also somebody who thinks that people are generally good. So I really believe in good people and that there are lots of good people and there are smart people, but I, I have met a lot of people that it's probably, they're not responsible enough to maintain the responsibility of homeownership because I'm a homeowner. I don't want irresponsible neighbors living next to me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's, that's, that's a big point. And I try to touch on that because I don't believe everyone like, needs to have a home because of exactly what you said. Most people aren't responsible. If they're not responsible enough, in your example, if they're not responsible enough to have saved for retirement, right, in in 20 years or 15 years or however long they've been working, it's probably not a good investment to get a $200,000 home or a $300,000 home if you can't put away $100 a month for for your retirement. Like no matter what, I look at, because that's what I do on the financial side. I look at people's finance and say, hey, let's make sure you have some basic foundational things. Do you have short-term savings? Do you, are you saving for retirement? Do you have some protection? Do you have life insurance? Like what's going on in your financial picture? And typically I see from my side, most people have no foundation. They don't have most of those things. They're in debt, right? They're, they're not making it. They have a cash flow issue because they're not making enough, right? They don't have savings. And then when I sit down with them, the first thing that they're always like, well, I want to buy a home. Great. Let's talk about these things first. <laughs> and then we can talk about you getting one of the largest investments you'll ever make in your life. 
but let's start with the basics. Like, can you save 200 bucks a month? Like if you can, then great. We could start talk about that later, but I see that happen over and over many. I, I don't know if you, are you seeing that like people wanting to buy homes has gone up like in your time in the industry or has it been the same? I would say I f- my application levels is huge right now. And it's just because, but I'm getting a lot of people coming in and I'll talk to them. I'll be like, well, how do you think your credit is? And I do a lot of, because I'm a certified HUD housing counselor, okay. I talk a lot about budgets and emergency plans and different things like that, making sure that they're prepared for the, not just the idea of, Ooh, I'm a homeowner, but more so as like, I'm responsible. I understand how my finances work. I, you know, I spend less than I make, you know, get a little bit like left over. I mean, yeah. I don't live on credit cards, you know, that type of thing. I live within my means. So we do, I do a lot of counseling up front to make sure that they're there. If they're not, we'll set up a plan for them to get there. Like it may be 12 months or two, even two years before your goal of being a homeowner is met. Sure. And so when I talk to people on the phone, they said, Oh, my credits, you know, it's, it's good. It's okay. You know, and, I pull their credit and I look at it and I'm like, gosh, um, <laughs> they're like, so tell me what I need to do. Like, uh, start paying your bills on time. Right. <laughs> Let's start. Um, there. <laughs> that's probably the most important thing is like, so I'm not going to be able to buy a house. Well, you're probably going to have to make sure you don't get any 30 day lates in the next 12 months because right now you're late on your car. You're like 90 days behind. So uh, probably need to, I'm like, what do you mean? Where do I start? Start paying your bills on time. <laughs> it's funny because people people will seriously ask that question. I laugh because I've heard questions like that all the time. Like, where do I start? Well, maybe you want to think about like saving some and paying some and maybe making some more money if, if you need help doing that. Like, let's start there. You know? <laughs> right. Exactly. Just the little things. That's it. Baby steps. <laughs> well, one guy said, well, all I was late was on my Macy's card and it's only a $25 payment. And I said, I get that. But let's look from a lender standpoint. You want them to lend you $100,000 and you are not responsible enough to pay your $25 a month payment on time. You think that they're okay with lending you more? <laughs> well, I guess, I guess you have a point there. Yes. That's why we do this for a living, right? <laughs> that's right. So now in your current position, Mandy, like what are you doing? Like what's your actual title right now? Okay. So I just started at Angel Oak Home Loans. They are the leader in the non-QM world. I'm a licensed mortgage advisor. So I do Non-QM, go back. Non-QM meaning? Non-qualifying mortgage. There we go. Yeah. And that's because when the, the industry changed back in 2007, the crash of the industry. So a lot of regulations came in part. So no more can you be a landscaper and a mortgage lender at the same time. Things <laughs> kind of changed. You now have to be licensed. You have to, a lot of regulations around being a licensed, you know, mortgage advisor, a loan officer. There's so many different titles. We all kind of do the same thing. But in my current position with a non-QM, we have the ability to do these mortgages that are portfolio lending, you know, where the investors have an appetite for different types of loans. There's people that just miss what conventional or government products have become in this day. And I call those vanilla loans. Mm -hmm. So, and everybody loves vanilla. I love vanilla. Vanilla is the basis of my business. (laughs) However, we need a little chocolate and we need a little strawberry in our life. That's right. That's right. We do. So I, with, with the non-QM, we have the ability to look at a bigger picture of an applicant. They're not government-backed type loans. They are, um, and our default rate is actually less than Fannie Mae's default rate. So even though we are outside of the box, 
We're lending good money to good people with the ability to repay. That I think is the biggest factor that we lost back in the day when mortgages were rampant is there was no calculation on whether or not they could repay this loan. It just kind of was like, let's just give more money out. Let's no income, no assets. You got a heartbeat, put your dog on as a co-signer, whatever. We would do all those things. So, but now you've got a good buyer. And so think about like a a 1099 Mm. and my last um, employer, which was a vanilla lender, which I love that company. I really did. They were a great company, but they were vanilla. So I would turn away so many people that were receiving 1099s, which more people receive those now more than ever because of a lot of issues with employment laws and stuff that I'm not going to get into because it's above my pay grade. (laughs) But needless to say, you've got, you know, truck drivers, barbers, entertainers, let's see, home health care workers, real estate agents. So many people are getting paid on the 1099, which means they've got the ability to write off so much on their taxes. You know, so there's pros and cons. Your your taxable income goes down because you're able to write off the expenses for your business. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, your bottom line looks like you don't make any make money. money. That's, so I couldn't lend this. That's us. Me, me and my wife have gone through that because we've been on the 1099 for the past six years. And uh, every right at first we were in the market and we were like, yeah, let's buy, let's try to buy. Our, our mindset has since changed and we're okay renting right now. But at the end of the day, that was a big deal because we wrote off so much on our tax, like for our taxable income at every year that it looked like we made no money, right? It looked like we literally made no money. And every time we'd go to the bank, they'd be like, yeah, you guys don't make enough. And we'd be like, well, we, we do, but it, this doesn't show it on paper. Right. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't do this. And we just kind of backed out of the whole thing. That's but right. I, I understand. I understand that that's a big that's a big issue. So if you take somebody, so with all the people that I have denied because of that, so I've got one lady she called me up, she wanted to buy a four hundred thousand dollar house or a dream home. She's been making over six figures for 10 years, running her limo company, just doing a great, you know, living life. Well, I tell her she can afford a $50,000 house. <laughs> I was kind of insulting. Like, excuse me. Like, she's like, I drive a Bentley. I'm like, yeah, you can live in your house. <laughs> I mean, you can live in your Bentley, whatever. Yeah. So, but the thing about it is, is with the non-QM lending, they actually look at, they'll look at your bank statements. So they'll take your, for example, you and your wife, they'll take your 12-month bank statements out of all your deposits, divide by 12. How much house are you buying now? Because you've had the history of being Mm self-employed. You have, you know, the good credit, right? Mm -hmm. And you're going to put a little bit of skin in the game. So it's not all 100% financing stuff, but there's no mortgage insurance, 10% down. It's awesome. Wow. That's, that's big time. And that, and that would help a lot of people. Are are there a lot of companies that do this non-QM lending or? They're coming. They're coming. coming. The industry's changing. They're starting to as the lending, as the vanilla tightens mm-hmm. and the margins start to tighten, the, the appetite on Wall Street and other investors are starting to, they want more, especially now that they've realized that these are not poorly performing right, people. products. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's big time. How, what other changes have you seen in the industry? Like what, what are you seeing come, come down the pipeline? Uh, challenges, good things, bad things. Talk about the industry. Um, I think inventory is a big deal. You know, and availability of affordable housing, you know, with, you know, we have a lot of new construction coming in and they're 150 and below. Those houses are really hard to come by. 
Sure. Um, especially here in South Carolina, where when I first moved here, I bought my first house for $81,000. You thought I would have, you would have thought I was like, boom. <laughs> I remember send, sending the pictures off to my family in California. And they're like, whoa, you made it. You're, you're rich. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> The property values are, are so different here than other parts of the country. Absolutely. So those houses are pretty much filled right now. So anybody puts their house on the market less than $150,000, that house is being sold in 24 hours. Absolutely. So there's there's no inventory. It's really hard. And so people who can afford, you know, that affordable lending, like 150 or below, are having a very difficult time, even though they're pre-qualified, of actually finding anything that they like. Right. How does that get fixed? How do we get more inventory if if that's even possible? I don't have the answers to that. I'm looking. I'm trying to help. I try to encourage people who are sitting in their houses right now that may, hey, let's see what your house is actually worth. You may be surprised. It may be time to upgrade or move or do those types of things. I'm doing some community revitalization as well. A lot of our older homes have just kind of, you know, nobody takes the time to fix them up or, you know, upgrade them or you know, do a lot of the cosmetic stuff. So when there are some of those available lower ones, they need a lot of work. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny because I'm in the process of kind of doing something like that with my grandma and my grandma, she's been in her house for like 60 years, right? Like just one of those that she's just been there forever. Wait, wait, what color is the carpet in the dining room? Brown. <laughs> <laughs> is that a common, is that a common color? I, yeah. I would imagine <laughs> she's had it forever. Um, I don't know that she's had the carpet forever. I think she'll get mad at me if she hears this because she, she's very particular. Like she didn't have the carpet forever. But at least she doesn't have the plastic runners on exactly. the carpet. She doesn't. Right. We're okay. good there. We're good there. So but either way, just doing some some basic upgrades now that I've gotten back into the city. I'm, I'm looking at the house like, hey, we should probably do some stuff to the house because you haven't really done much to it. Let's get the bathroom done. Let's get the kitchen done. Let's really look at this and see, could this be something that we put on the market, right? Like, I don't want to kick my grandma out. That's not that's not the goal, right? But at the end of the day, I know what's free and clear for her. And I'm sure that she could make some money. Granted, she gets a pension and right, she's okay. But I was like, well, let's just see, because I've heard that similar from other agents and people in the industry that there's just low inventory and anybody can, right, that wants to get out of their house right now, this would be a great time because people are buying it up. So I'm, I'm actually looking into similar things, but you're right. I don't know that there's a, there's a full answer to the inventory question, right? How do we get more? I guess we just have to start developing more land, I guess. I don't, I don't even know. What, That's what one thing we can't get more of. Yeah. That's yeah. True. That's true. That's true. Either way. What's your day-to-day like, right? What What's your day-to-day like on the on the loan side, on the mortgage side? Like, are, are you just doing a lot of applications? Are you on the phone? I know you say you're doing a lot of like volunteering community outreach. What's Mandy's day like? Um, pretty much I get a, usually in the evening, for some reason, I'll get a lot of the applications in. I come in, I do all my consultations, set up appointments. It's really funny now because I do a lot of work with millennials Okay. And they love to text me. So I'm sitting <laughs> at my desk just texting. Just a lot of the conversations have changed in the text. And let's let's just stay there on the communication part with millennials. Like what's been outside of texting? Has there been a big difference? Are you seeing, I mean, we connected on social media, right? right. So that's gotta be a big deal. Are you seeing this change in I guess your your clientele base? Are you are you seeing a change? 
Absolutely. And, I, and a lot of it drives from social media. And another thing is reviews. Mm. Reviews are huge. I've had people just find me random throughout the state and have just been like, I want to work with you because I read your reviews. Yeah. And I was like, you find oh. out how they got to you. Like, yeah, like Zillow reviews, Facebook reviews, those different types of, you know, reviews on there. People are actually reading those and they want to know what other people say. They're not just, you know, well, my, my sister said to use you. Right. You know, so it's, um, and social media, that whole social media presence is huge. Yeah. Being available in multiple different ways, whether it's telephone, email, you know, people work different hours. They want to text you. They're going to ask you questions. So my biggest thing is text me at any time. Sure. You got a question, you wake up in the middle of the night and you have a question at two o'clock in the morning, text me. Sure. That doesn't mean I'm going to respond of at course. two o'clock in the morning, of course. but get your question out. And as soon as I get up and my eyes, the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to respond to you in text message. So pretty much my thing is just taking care of my people. I've got, I have a good problem right now. And I just hired an assistant. There you go. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so she'll be able to do a lot of the paperwork, pipeline management, calendar control, because I tend to overbook myself a lot. I don't know how it happens. I got to get my calendars in straight. I've got like an Outlook calendar, a Gmail calendar, and sometimes they don't talk to each other. So, yeah. but for the most part, that's what I'm doing. I'm just counseling, talking with people, working with my real estate agents, helping them grow and become better real estate agents, understanding like, oh no. The seller just acquired that property a month ago. These are the problems that you're going to come into this and here and just setting up just different workshops and letting them know what is available out there so that they're better because the better the real estate agents are, then I know that the quality of the applicants that I get are going to be great as well. That's good. What can you teach a real estate agent, right? Like what kind of information are you giving them to make them better? Pretty much just letting, helping them understand the lending process on the type of loan program their buyer is working with because not everybody is a conventional buyer. Not everyone's an FHA or a USDA or a VA. Um, there's so many different types of programs. We have a manufactured overlay. You know, there's different types of, so in each unique situation requires different guidelines. So it's making sure that they understand. So they become more knowledgeable and also less stress. The more people understand, the less stress they have about a transaction so that me and an agent can work together. So when the buyer has anxiety over some conditions that have come up and mm -hmm. things that we have to resolve prior to lending the money, there's, there's a cohesive understanding between the lender and the real estate agent to help support the buyer so that they're not having to feel the angst or the stress because, well, if this professional and this professional both say the same thing, then it you know, then this is true. But if you have a real estate agent not understanding, they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. I've never heard that before. This is new. Well, then now I'm losing the buyer on a trust issue because the real estate agent doesn't quite understand. So I need them to know just as much as I do, not all the fine details, but enough to really be able to relay the information so the stress is reduced. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do, do you find that most real estate agents are, are receptive? like to your coaching, to your teaching, or are they just like, ah, oh, you're just another right, mortgage person trying to get my clients? Like, how do they think about it? Well, first of all, I'm very particular about the real estate agents I choose to do business with. Okay. I love hard, I work hard, and I support hard. And so if we're, we don't work well as a team, if you know everything, I'm gonna let you have that. I'm gonna let you just do it your own way. Sure. I only wanna work with people that got good energy, good vibes. And right now I'm blessed to have a team of real estate professionals that I work with that are very similar mindset as me. 
So I work with those people. The other ones, if they know everything, I'm not, I'm not bothering them. They can have it. They can have it. Sure. Got it. So most, most of the ones that you're working with are receptive. They're teachable. They're trying to learn these programs so that you can work together as a team. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think in the most part, most real estate agents want to do better and want to know more and want to be able to sell more, but I've run across some that know everything and don't need any help from anyone mm. and they're just fine. Mm, got it. How, how does one pick a good mortgage lender? Like how does someone pick someone that they should work with? I think it's a vibe. I think it's energy. Not everybody vibes with everybody. And even though I am great, I don't vibe with everybody. Sure. You know, we're, we're just, some people have just completely different personalities and they're just not going to even understand each other. And it is okay to not beat your head up against the wall because so-and-so doesn't want to work with you. Absolutely. There are people that do and you'll work well together. And when you work well together and the energy's good and you're helping each other and we all have the same mindset, man, we can accomplish anything. So I'm okay with, if the energy's not good, have a great day. Enjoy your life. Like, have fun and I'm going to go over here. That's so, it. That's it. It's so it's such a blessing when you're in a place where you get to pick your clients or pick the people that you work with, because then you're right. I only want good energy. I only want good vibes, right? If something's a little off or I could tell that your heart isn't in the right place or, right, your your ethics aren't where I think they should be or whatever the case is, then we won't work together. And it's okay. There's other people out there that you probably could work with. And I have people I could work with. But that's why I do a lot of like, I do a lot of like 20 minute meetings with people just to get to know people, right? Like, hey, who are you? Right? Like, I'm trying to hear for those cues, like, should I work with you? Or should I not work with you? Because I'm, I'm also the same way. I'm very selective in who I choose to bring on board, who I, who I choose to work with, because that's our time. Right? That's our time. That's our energy. You don't want to be caught up in, in situations with people that are maybe less ethical or just don't vibe with you. Right. Or even people with poor energy or negative attitudes, they tend to drain me. They tend to take drain. all the goodness that I have to give. They take it away from me and they leave me feeling out of it toxic. Absolutely. So I have learned that I'm okay without those people in my life. I'm not, I don't care how much money you could bring me or how many more leads you could bring me or whatever. It is not worth you sucking my energy dry. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wish more people understood that for all you negative people out there, <laughs> bunch of energy suckers. What, <laughs> energy what, what, suckers. Yeah. Whatever else we, we call them. So we're going to get this wrapped up, Mandy, but I, I want to kind of finish up with, with one or two last questions. Where do you see the industry moving, right? Like if you can predict kind of what's going to happen, what's, what are some new trends that are out there? What do you see? Well, I definitely know that the interest rates are on a rise. Okay. So we're in a rate rising environment. I do see that there's going to be some tightening of vanilla lending. And I see non-QM starting to re-rise through the industry and having more different programs and products available to help more people. I think that that's necessary. I still see that it is still a purchase market right now. Yeah. So I see that people is, have the opportunity to buy. That's it. That's it. Do you feel a correction happening, right? Nine years of economic prosperity. Nothing happened since 2008, 2009, 2007, that time. Do you see that happening? Are you cautious of it? Is there talks in the industry about it? To be honest, I don't listen to any of that type of thing. Got to it. me, that is negative. And to me, that is, um, it's hearsay. It's like people always say, oh, the bubble, you know, it's going to burst. It's going to do this. Don't, 
I don't really listen to what other people say. I just go wake up every day, do the best I can do every day and just keep moving. I cannot predict what is going to happen. I just know that you can only control what goes on in your world and what you do and how you react to it. So if things start to change, then we just adjust the way we do it. We just move on. You just keep going forward. If you consume your mind with things like what if, or this may happen or this may happen, you're wasting a lot of your energy on stuff that may never occur. Absolutely. Not right now, not 10 years from now. Maybe some of the corrections that have already been made will prevent certain things from happening again. Maybe there were some good ideas in there. Maybe we've learned some things. That's not for me to really worry about. That's not my place. My job isn't to worry about stuff. My job is to focus and try to help as many people as I can every single day and worry about the changes when they come. That's it. And you're doing it and you're making it happen. And that's the mindset that will allow you to continue to be successful. That's why I have you on the show, because I know that just that energy, that mindset, that's what we need more of, more of the optimism, more of positivity, more of the things that give energy and less of the things that that take it away. So thanks so much for being on the show. Tell people where to find you, right? Where can they find Money Mandy? Oh, it's real simple. Moneymandy.com. Ha! And you spell my name wrong. I bought all the domains. So spell it wrong, you're still going to get to me. Moneymandy.com. My uh, email, cell phone. My You can download my app for lending. Um, all of those things are available at moneymandy.com. So it's really easy. And thank you for having me. I really had a good time this morning. And I'm so excited to connect with like-minded individuals from Philadelphia. Absolutely. Likewise. Eagles. Go Eagles. But you guys all heard it, right? Make sure you go check out our website. Reach out to her. Obviously, she's, again, like I said, a wealth of knowledge and she's here to help people. Again, you always want to do business with people that have the best intentions, that have the right mindset about where you're going and can really actually help. So reach out to Mandy. She's here. She's a resource for you guys. Um, But until next time, guys, we're going to sign off of Property Players Podcast. Again, I'm Steve Muzan. We will talk to you guys soon. Take care.